Grace and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus, may it be with us this evening and forever. Amen. For a text for this evening, I've chosen to read from the Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And we'll read chapter 2, which is 16 verses. Also, I'd like to bring you greetings from the children of God in Ironwood. There's many that you know there. You have many friends there. You have family there. And uh, they asked some individuals, and as a congregation asked that I would bring their greetings to you. Chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, we read in the name of our Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the wisdom of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the hidden, the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man that is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yea, yet he himself is judged of no man, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Amen. As my thoughts have been turned towards these services in the last few weeks, of course, being human as we are, we start to think about, well, what's really important for us to talk about when we get together? And we think about circumstances, and we think about congregations, and we think about ourselves, and if we do too much of it, we really get ourselves into trouble. And so as I was praying to the Father about this whole matter, this portion of Scripture came to me, and, and, uh, and so I thought, what a wonderful God we have. And in his writing, even as has been recorded by the Apostle Paul, he has reminded us of where our attention should be turned as the children of God. 
and it's to the crucified Savior. For we gather together for these services which are to remember Good Friday and Easter and the blessing that has come down to earth and that we have been made partakers of in the Lord. And it's good that even in our church calendar we have this time of year where we focus our attention upon that which the Lord has done. And we are reminded again, and our attention is drawn away many times from things that would be different unto that work which took place on the cross. And the visit unto the empty tomb, which those first Christians there on in the beginning of the New Testament experienced and we in our hearts and in our minds experience as the children of God the victory of the cross the hope of the empty tomb this life which gives us the blessing of knowing here in the time of grace this experience for us personally And as our hearts are then turned towards those events, we again realize, as the scripture has here told us, that this is a mystery. This is not something that's understood by earthly wisdom. But tonight, if we understand and are believing upon that which our Lord has done, it is because God has revealed this matter to us. It wasn't because of anything that we sought God for in our own goodness, but God in his great love reached down from heaven and he brought the gift of life into our hearts by the revelation of his son. It's no small matter. It is no small matter if we comprehend God's grace in the revelation of Jesus. We as Christians, because we have heard the story so often and for so long, many times start to become that way in our minds that it doesn't seem like it's that important. But may God, even during these services, continue to show unto us and to touch our hearts with that which can change us as people. And the only thing that is able to quicken us, and that is Jesus our Lord, and that great work that he did in our behalf. Paul established his church in Corinth, and it was in a city of a lot of people, a city that was filled with much sin, it was filled with a lot of wisdom, many different things that he could have and probably did think about as he was there and as he was establishing churches and God was working through him but as it is the central theme of the whole Bible and was the central theme of Paul's ministry he was drawn back to that where power is derived and the power is in the work of redemption for he says in the end of the first chapter 
that no flesh should glory in the presence of the Lord, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And so then as he spoke unto them, as he had referred to in the first chapter, that there was different groups of people that were following certain different men, and he said unto them that that there was, and he wanted to remind them that none of those men had died for them. And how easy it is for us as people to have our eyes turned away from that which is the living God to something that is tangible here on earth. Some type of an establishment or some person or something where we want to gain gain a close relationship with and feel that in that relationship or in that church membership or in that type of teaching or whatever it is that we would have our salvation. The Lord wants to remind us and wants to take away everything from us that which is not of His work. And He wants to establish us upon that which is solid and secure and cannot be moved. Upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that kingdom of God was established upon the redemptive work of Jesus, and the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. Isn't it a comfort to your heart and mine, as we have come here even this evening? As our thoughts are in many directions, and we're pulled and we're tugged as people to know that being members of a kingdom that the gates of hell cannot touch because the Lord has established it upon that which is absolute which is his power and his work and we then being drawn into that relationship with him through grace when we are members of that kingdom that cannot be moved then have a living hope it's anchored in eternity are you going to heaven do you know tonight that you're going to heaven that's the message of the Bible so come here and to establish within our hearts and within our minds and to wipe away every doubt and every fear by the blood of the Lamb so that we are able to say that yes my home is in heaven And I am temporarily here, but for a short time. As we travel through this world. Because our hope is built upon something more. Than that which is sinking sand. But it's built upon that which is solid. It's built upon our Lord. And what a great refuge we have. How often times as the children of God. Do we have to hide ourselves in the cleft of the rock? When we're assailed from outside and we're assailed from within by that which is of the enemy and our own self, and to hide within that place where the righteousness of the Lord covers us and the blood of Jesus presents us perfect and holy before the face of the Father, And we are able to say, 
I know in whom I have believed. And he is able to keep that which we have committed unto him against that day. That's the trust that we are given. That's the faith that God gives unto us when it is established upon something that is safe and secure. But woe unto us if our faith is placed upon something that will burn wood, hay, and stubble. For not only in this life is it difficult, but in that great day when the Lord comes, it will be terrible. But God is not willing that men would perish. And so he sent his son. And it's through this, as Paul has recorded unto us, through the foolishness of preaching that men are saved. This word starts to speak unto our hearts, doesn't it? And it's this word that sustains us and keeps us. And it's this word which is Christ that we long to feed upon and enjoy and be blessed with. It's this word that has that power to strengthen us and renew us in our minds, to assure us of that which God has done, and to bless us in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And so in the first paragraph that we read, he comes and he says that he didn't come to them as someone who had all gifts of speaking, He wasn't a person that was proud in himself. He wasn't a person that would be looked to to say that, well, this person has it all together. It's good it's that way, isn't it? That it's not in man, for he says that the reason that this all is done, that God has ordained it to be this way, that our faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power that is of God. God takes away all that is of man and he puts it on the side and he gives unto us that which is of the meat of the word where we are able to feast upon, be fed and be strengthened and be encouraged. Is Paul saying here then that the only way that a person can be a a speaker of the gospel is that he has to be poor in speech? But ask anyone who comes to this place and handles this word of God and I don't think we find a lot of boasting when we know really what is being handled here and it's not to say that God hasn't gifted people for we all know people who have been gifted in speaking the word and in different places even in the ministry of God's kingdom he's not saying that but he's saying what is the intent of the person that comes to the place to speak Is it to say that in himself he has something to offer to the people? Or is it that he says that, Lord, we come empty to this place. Would you feed us? Could we all be fed? The person who speaks and the people who listen, could we all sit at that table and feast upon that fatted calf that was given in our behalf? That's what we desire as we gather together. It's not that there's one person that knows it all and comes speak unto us and tells us how things are to be and what has happened. But it's that we all gather together and we pray that the Spirit of God would come and speak into our hearts, all of us as we're gathered here, and refresh us and encourage us in that which is of the living God.
For he says that he did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom. He was declaring unto you the testimony of God. He wanted to testify of what God had done. Testify of that work which God had come to do from heaven. For he says that I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He determined. He determined. I take from this portion of scripture, this verse, is that there were other thoughts that were in Paul's mind. Many other things that were drawing against that which was of the pure gospel of the word, which is able to speak into the hearts of men. But Paul in his own says, in his own mind, he said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's my desire also, and I'm sure as the other brother has come here from much further, that this is what we would be able to have in our midst even this week and this coming weekend, would be that we would be able to know Jesus and him crucified. It isn't that we look at the historical fact of what took place on Good Friday's cross. It isn't that with our minds we think upon these things, even though that takes place because God has given us a mind. But what it is is that even though our mind is partaking, that our heart would come to see personally what has taken place when God gave his gift from heaven. That you and I would be able to partake upon this work of redemption And that we would not spend our time on those things which are superficial. And that we would not externally try to work on this man that we are. But this work would begin in the heart of man. Where we come to see what was done in our behalf as Jesus gave his life. For from that fountain of life then all good fruit and all good work comes forth. What Paul seems to be saying here is that let's not make earthly comparisons. Let's not spend our time on earthly comparisons, for it's so easy for us to do that, to compare one to another. And so oftentimes when our Christianity becomes that of comparing one to another, we don't have a very good standard, do we? And so oftentimes it brings us to a place if we think that we have found someone lesser than us that we start to think we're pretty good Christians. And the devil of self-righteousness starts to raise his ugly head again in our heart. Or else if it's that way that we see ourselves in much poorness and we compare ourselves to other Christians who seem to be so much better than we are, and then we bring to ourselves to a place of discontentment. Of why hasn't God gifted me like that person? Why hasn't he given me that gift? Why am I not as good a father as that person is? Why am I not as good a mother? Why am I not as good a husband? Why am I not as good a wife as this, as this other individual is? But Paul says that these comparisons bring us only into places of strife. And so he sets a much higher standard for us. He says there is one that we are all to draw nigh unto. And he says that's the Lord of glory. And he says when we draw nigh to the Lord of glory, there we see the perfect example of love, don't we? 
We see that there was one who was willing to give himself for us in our sin. We see that there was one who was willing to come down to earth and to take our place here on this earth, to walk that perfect life for 33 years, a righteous life, tempted, tempted as we are, but with one difference, he did not sin at all. And then this perfect, sinless Lamb of God to then take upon himself in the Garden of Gethsemane the agony of a conscience defiled by every sin that has been committed. Yes, you're in my sin also. And the burden that he bore as it dropped him to his face in the Garden of Gethsemane on this the dirt of this earth that was formed by his word, there he groaned as he wrestled with the matter of our sin. Then we see there is a comparison, there is a standard. This is what is put before us in God's word. It's not another person, it's not just any other person, but it's the Son of God that comes before us. John says in his third chapter, he says, this is a dark world, and the light has come into the world, and the condemnation that is in this world is men love darkness rather than light. When Christ stands before us in all his glory, there we see the true searchlight that begins to reach into the <clears throat> deep corners of my heart and yours. We are not able to then just stand in a comparison to other people then anymore, are we? Because it starts to reach into the innermost heart that we have, and it starts to reveal those things even that may have become hidden there. And it starts to speak to us about a righteousness that none of us can attain to. No matter how good a standard of person we try to make ourselves like, we find that no matter who we are, we fall short. For there is in this place where the Son of God, where we see Him, where we see then what sin has actually done, when we see that Jesus took it upon Himself and then He went to the cross, where we see that He took this burden upon Himself, my sin and yours, and there, as a lamb, He went to the slaughter. He didn't open His mouth, but He willingly went. He willingly offered up Himself. The soldiers didn't have to capture Him, but He willingly gave Himself, and He went and He gave His life. As He hung upon the cross, He said, It is finished. What was finished? The payment for my sin was finished, and yours also. It was all taken and accounted for before the Father. He says, you don't have to wallow in sin any longer. You don't have to live your life underneath the burden of sin, even no matter how dark it may seem. As he said, the condemnation is that light has come into this world, but men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. But he that cometh to the light, 
his deeds are made manifest, are made known that they are wrought in God. And what a great blessing it is for us as the children of God. When that sin that is within us is made known, we come to the place of realizing that there is forgiveness even for everything that we have committed, even those secret sins. Jesus paid for them. And we are able, as they are brought to the light, they are cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. They are not remembered anymore. God has taken our sins then. And through faith, as we believe upon Him, and as we have rid ourselves of that which was, is, and continues to be what we are, we realize then that His covering is sufficient for all of our sin. Is there anyone here who is carrying sin upon their heart and conscience? There's no need to. There's no need to carry sin at all. Because sin has been paid for. We want to know nothing save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Does this mean that Paul didn't speak of any other matters? We know better. His letters speak of matters that touch the life and the heart of every person. But what it is saying is that this central theme, this central theme of the gospel message of the redemptive work of Christ, that which all of history looks upon from the very beginning, and that which all of the future looks back to, that one most important event that took place where the greatest battle was ever fought, that between good and evil, there between light and darkness, there between God and the enemy. And we know who was victorious, don't we? The second paragraph of this text speaks unto us and it says this is something that is of wisdom, a heavenly wisdom. What does this say unto us? It tells us that this is not something that we can just attain to by our own head learning. As we said in the beginning, if we are believing tonight, it's because God has given this unto us. Paul wanted to speak this message because this is what he had experienced. It's pretty much what we do as Christians, isn't it? We come here and we speak about much experience that we have had. And that our experience is that which has to line up with the Word of God. And the Apostle Paul was a man who was well learned. He was a very religious man. In the book of Philippians, he gives the list of his good qualifications. Something like many of us probably have, even in our own way. Hebrew of the Hebrews, all the different things that he talked about. We have that type of a background. We can say of the many good things that we have had from the beginning of our lives also. The way that we have walked and how good we have been. Oftentimes I feel that within myself until God comes and He reminds me, taps me on the shoulder and reminds me, don't forget that you're a sinner. And then when He starts to reveal and He starts to show the corrupt nature and the sin that we have, then we are able to say as Paul, O Lord, Lord, who art thou, Lord? 
As he was on the Damascus road planning to kill the Christians, and the light of God shone from heaven and struck him blind. And there we see this powerful man in himself brought to a place of one that was helpless. Isn't that the experience that we have? And he was three... I conferred not with flesh and blood. The Apostle Paul clearly tells us that this is something that came from heaven directly into his life. That this is the experience that he had, that when it pleased God, in God's time, to reveal his Son in him. Has that happened in your life? Has the Son of God been revealed into your heart by the Spirit of God? Have you been able to see that this Son of God that came down from heaven was in your place, came in your behalf, stood in your place, received your punishment, died your death so that you can live. When this matter is opened up unto us in our hearts, when we are wrestling with the matter of our sin and we are not able to comprehend, we don't know what we are going to do with it. And God, by His great grace, reaches down into our hearts and He opens the matter of redemption up unto us that it was in your stead that my Son came. It was in your stead that He bled and He died. It was in your stead that He gave His life. I remember that moment when that matter was opened to my heart in a small degree. I say that in the light of that because I believe that there is much more in God's revelation. But to me it wasn't a small matter. But when all of my sin was taken away from me, in the revelation of one heavenly visitor, it became everything. There's nothing else that matters. There's nothing else that matters in life but to know this one who gave his in my behalf. And I'm sure that's the same thing that you would echo this evening. There's nothing else that matters than to know this Jesus. Jesus says in the 17th chapter of John that this is eternal life, that we would know God and the one whom he has sent, that we would know him, not know about him, but know him. And so that's what we have to ask ourselves. Do we know him? And when we realize that the scripture tells us there's none of us that have been able to go up to heaven, but the only way this took place is that heaven came down to earth the long arm of God reached down to earth and it touched us as people, then we are able to say that this is heavenly wisdom. And what does this mean? He talks about it then, and yet not in the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that came to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. God has revealed this unto us. It's by his Spirit that it happened. The Spirit of God reached down from heaven and touched our hearts with the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's how it takes place. It's by the Spirit of God. It's a mystery. 
Can we put a formula to this? Can we say, this is exactly how this takes place? I don't believe so. How can we explain what God is like? How can we who are created and mortal begin to explain what God is like except to just say that God is love? What do we tell to people who are in the bondage of their sin? People that are struggling with sin, we tell them that God is love and that He loved you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is what it tells us. This is what we speak about. God loves people because, and this is how He made it known or manifest, is look what He did. The Scripture tells us that there's no greater love that anyone has that they would lay down their life for another. Nothing comes close to it. The supreme sacrifice is what God did in our behalf. He gave His life for us. And so we speak about this mystery, this mystery, this, the, the wisdom, the wisdom of God in a mystery. And we are not able to, to speak about those things only except by what God reveals unto us. In the end of the first chapter of Colossians, Paul writes and says, Whereof I am a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Verse 26, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto also I labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. He says this matter has been hidden. And so tonight, if this matter is opened unto your heart, the matter of the redemption of Jesus, it's because God has opened it. If this matter is something that you can rejoice in, it's because God has given you the gift of life. Because the book of Ephesians says that it is a gift of grace through faith. And so it is that this is what we want to speak about. This is what we want to bring our hearts unto. Lord, bless us in this mystery. When it speaks unto me and says it's something that I am not able to explain with my own wisdom, with my own tongue. It's only if God, by His Spirit, speaks unto us about the mystery of what took place. And so we then see a God who is far above us. What does it make us do? We bow before Him. Lord, would You bless us. Lord, would You give unto us. We come as children to a father, the Scripture tells us. Little children don't understand. They just come to Dad and they say, Dad, I need. Dad, I hurt. Dad, I want. And that's what it, the Scripture tells us. That's what we become as little children. And that's where our understanding level is. We come to the Father and we say, Lord, would You bless us? Would you give us? Would you fill our every need? And I know that God hears our prayer. And He comes and He answers and He speaks unto our hearts about that which is eternal, this mystery that is from above. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. We have received the spirit of God so that we would know and be assured. We said earlier that eternal life is knowing God and the one whom he has sent. Also, this one says that we would know the things of God. This means assurance. This speaks to us that you can know within our hearts that we're going to heaven. That we can know within our hearts that we are forgiven. God and his assurance that he has given unto us speaks about that full assurance of faith, of knowing and believing and trusting in that which Jesus has done. And the reason that we fall short in this is because so oftentimes we base our salvation upon that which is which is external. And I know that's the way it is for me, that within my heart and within my mind, I want to judge my salvation according to my performance, that how have I been doing as a Christian? And then when failure comes into my life, it seems that salvation isn't as close anymore. When God's word says that salvation is something that is secure in Christ and only in him. It tells us that this is the foundation that we are built upon, that which is not moved. And when we are in him, we are perfect and we are holy. And we find then that our eyes are taken away from ourselves and they are lifted up to Jesus and we look upon him, the spotless Lamb of God, then we find that there is hope and there is assurance. For we find that the Father was satisfied. This whole mystery in the wisdom of God is revealed unto us in that measure where we are able to know by the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given unto us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And so it is as Christians then, we receive the Spirit of God. And we then spiritually compare things with spiritual. And I believe it's that way as we said then, that we look upon the things that are of the Spirit. And we look on those things through this word, because this word is never separated from the Spirit of God, nor the Spirit of God separated from this word. And we receive discernment through that Spirit that gives us this word. This word which has been given by the Spirit is also understood by the Spirit. And it speaks unto us, and we understand those things spiritually then. We don't understand those things carnally. We will never understand them carnally, as the word tells us. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet, yet he himself is judged of no man. It's a wonderful place to be in, isn't it? Where we judge all matters. Everything is judged by the Spirit of God that is within us. Our whole life is filled with judgment then. Is this speaking about a condemnation judgment? I don't believe it is. This is talking about that as Christians now, we are given that spirit of discernment to go through life. 
and, and are able to know by the Spirit telling us and revealing unto us so that we are able to live our lives according to God's Word. It's a wonderful blessing, isn't it? To be prompted by the Spirit of God. I've been visiting with a new member in our church here for the last few months quite a bit. And he's a man that is not of our church background, but a man that confesses faith in the Lord and has experienced the new birth that he testifies of. And one thing that he has spoken to me much about is the Spirit of God and listening to the Spirit of God and waiting upon the Spirit of God for its prompting and for its encouragement and for its confirmation of the things that are of life. I thought about that. And I thought about what a wonderful way to go through life, not in our own wisdom, but in that wisdom which is of heaven, which is of the Spirit of God that prompts us. It seems like his life is lived kind of in a slow motion. where he doesn't make any moves without waiting upon the Spirit of God and receiving that which God prompts him to do. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to me because I like to go headlong into things. But I think God is trying to teach me something. That, you know, as the children of God, we have received that which is able to lead us unto all truth. It says it will. The Comforter comes, the Spirit comes to lead us unto all truth. But do we hear it? Do we patiently wait for it? Oh, you young people, what a great blessing to wait upon the prompting of the Spirit of God in your lives. To not make moves that are rash, to not do things on your own feelings, on your own motives, but to wait for that which God leads you to. And so it is, as the children of God, we know them, we know the things that are of God. They are foolishness to the world, but to us they are spiritually discerned. Things are judged, but yet we are judged of no man. It's liberating, isn't it? Isn't it free when the Spirit of God comes unto us? We know that our soul is safe with the Lord. We know that we are joined together to God by the gift of life, that the work of Christ has established us in a kingdom where we are able to believe unto eternal life. We are judged of no man. No man is able to take that from us, what God has given us. What a freeing spirit God gives unto his children. Nothing here is able to take that away. And I'm so glad for that. But that which God has placed in my heart is something that man cannot remove. It is that which is the eternal gift of God that has been shown unto us through the work of Jesus. We are not judged of any man, as Paul says here. 
we are free and liberated from that which we are of self and of sin and of that which is of this carnal world. But who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? You see what happens when the Spirit of God is within a man. He actually says this is the mind of God. For what he says, we have the mind of Christ. As Christians, this is what we receive. The thinking of Jesus, his own mind within ours. So our lives are then in him. We go forth as the children of God under the leading of this spirit of God that he has spoken to us about here. The spirit that leads us unto truth the spirit that leads us unto a comfort, unto consolation, unto the knowledge of our Lord, where we then realize that this gift is a mystery, but it's something that we have experienced, and we proclaim it. We proclaim a hidden mystery, a God who is not contained, a God who is not contained by man, a God who moves as he wants to move, May he move in our midst. May he speak unto us. May we hear his voice. May we rejoice in that which Jesus has done, the source of all strength and hope in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing song number 90.